Greetings and salutations, creature lovers. This is Mr. Venom welcoming you to Episode 7 of No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts. First of all, as always, let me introduce my cohorts this evening. Coming to you from the Cinematac podcast, it is Mr. Derek B. How you doing, Derek? Hey, yo. I'm here. <laughs> we'll get into why he's doing a Razor Ramon impression in a little bit here, folks. <laughs> and, uh, of course, my other co-host, Mr. Don and Nelly from the Horror Countdown podcast. How you doing, brother? Ah, thank you for uh, being here. It's always uh, fun to talk about this one. Oh, yeah. So, folks, if you haven't already figured it out, this week's film involves a, a, an innocent baby alligator who's mistreated from birth to come back and get his revenge as a mutated adult. Yes, we are talking about 1980s Alligator, uh, starring Robert Forster, among others. We get a we get a great little cast of character actors in this one, which we'll go over here in a little bit. But I figured before we do that, we'd have a, a little chat here, a little fireside chat about some of our favorite alligator and crocodile movies. Now, I know we might end up talking a little bit about a couple of movies that we also discussed last week when we talked about just overall giant monster movies. But of course, with the alligator and the crocodile subgenre, they don't necessarily have to be mutated to make it a horror film. So let's go ahead and bring in Derek first. Derek, why don't you tell me about some of your favorite alligator crocodile films? Hmm, where to begin? Well, I gotta, I gotta, I want to give a big shout out to the movie from 1979, The Great Alligator, or Alligator River, or also known as Alligator, <laughs> uh, directed by Sergio Martino. It's it's a weird one because it's kind of like an alligator movie, but then it also has like that cannibal vibe to it too because the villagers are killing people too because they worship this fucking alligator. Right. It's pretty awesome and it has a great cast like. Bobber Bach, Claudio Castanelli, Mel Ferrer. Richard Johnson has a cameo in it, too, from, you know, like Zombie Flesh Eater is the same year. It's a, it's a great little fun movie. I, I like it a lot. It even has a young Bobby Rhodes in it. Shit, she's a friend of mine. <laughs> it's great. Uh, Rogue from Australia. I really like ah. the Fred McLean film. Uh very interesting because he did that after Wolf Creek and it has a very different performance by John Jarrett in it, mm-hmm. who I who I always love. Uh, uh, another little fun like movie that actually when I first saw the cover for this I didn't even know it was a killer like crocodile movie. It's Blood Surf from the year two thousand. Yes, uh, so much fun. It has a nice weird cameo by Duncan Ryder, aka Dracula from the Monster Squad. As like the Quint character of this movie. <laughs> uh, speaking of John Jarrett, uh, he also starred in the '80s killer croc movie known as Dark Age, which it, it's kind of uh, interesting because this uh, this crocodile is killing, but it also has like this uh, kind of like a, a message to say about the Aboriginal people because. There's like a spiritual connection with this alligator, I mean this crocodile and the, the aboriginals, and they play on that a lot. Uh, very interesting movie, and uh, one more I'll bring up, uh, of course, uh, Toby Hooper's Crocodile, uh, fun little one. 
I think we mentioned that last week. Oh yeah, his his far superior crocodile movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually a killer crocodile movie. Yeah, go, that's true. That's true. The other one, it's just more of a, a factor than it is an actual killer croc movie yeah. per se. Nice, very cool picks. Uh, Don, why don't you go ahead and jump in here? Tell us some of your favorites. Yeah, um, I will absolutely jump on the bandwagon uh, for both Crocodile and Blood Surf. Um, Crocodile is in my top five favorite Toby Hooper films, and you cannot convince me otherwise. Um, I, I love that movie. Um, one of the films that actually got me into uh, being a Creature Feature fan, um, that one and a couple of others that came out around that same time, kind of got me into uh, that kind of stuff. So uh, always, I always had a fun time with that one. And uh, yeah, Blood Surf is uh, Blood Surf is a ton of fun. Probably one of the better practical proc croc props. God, that was a tongue twister, and I didn't expect it. <laughs> I I also really really like the uh, Anaconda sequels, all six of them, if my memory serves me right. Because two, three, and four, and then the crossover, and then Lake Placid, and then the yeah Lake Placid. The uh, last one was uh, Lake Placid Legacy. So yeah, um, I think there's six of them. All of them are. Better than you'd think, although um, keep in mind they're two onward is Sci-Fi Channel fair, so better than you think is still kind of you know a very 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 loose um, adjective for better or worse. I also really like uh, the the sequel to uh, Toby Hooper's Crocodile, uh, Crocodile Two: Death Swamp. Um, that one was uh, a lot of fun, um, and even there was one that was shot, uh, I believe it was in Thailand called Croc. Uh, stars Michael Madsen. If if I'm remembering everything right, I think Michael Madsen is like the hunter trying to track this crocodile um, along this, this river. I think it's Thailand. If I'm if I'm remembering the movie right, I think it's it, I think that's where it is. And uh, another one I also want to shout out just because I think you're going to also mention mention one that I you know um, just because mm-hmm. there's a Chinese creature feature it is so ridiculous and so much fun and so goofy and campy I, I had a blast with it it's called Crazy Tsunami and it, <laughs> it, it, it's a rip off of Crawl to such a degree that it's nearly shot for shot but only runs an hour and ten minutes <laughs> but uh, it's the exact same plot line and it's the exact same setup and a lot of the scenes are kind of shot for shot only it's done at like it's like you know, an hour and ten minutes instead of you know an hour and a half or whatever, but uh, it, it's a blast. And you know if you if, you know you like the cheesier side of things and you have fun with those kinds of stuff, it's definitely worth a while. Um, it's on YouTube. I, I you'd have to ask me for a link for it because it's in my it's in my watch history somewhere. But yeah, it, it's a lot of fun and definitely recommended. So nice. Very cool. Uh, well, you guys are definitely bringing more, um, a better variety of picks that I'm going to bring to the table. Um, once again, alligators are probably uh, alligators slash crocodile movies are kind of a blind spot for me. But some that I remember watching that I did enjoy. I know Rogue was already mentioned, which I always thought was a really great one. It's funny that Derek brings up the Great Alligator because I actually just watched that last month completely on a whim. It just happened to be on Tubi, and I figured, screw it, I'll give it a shot. And yeah, it actually was a pretty entertaining little film. Blackwater is one that doesn't get a lot of love, but I remember watching it probably like, what, 10 years ago, maybe? And maybe it was just the state of mind that I was in, but I did have a pretty decent time with it. 
This is one of the ones set in Australia, right? Yeah, this one was in Northern Australia. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah I think it's. I, I, I think it's one of the guys that went on to do the reef. It's the same Ooh. director as the reef. Yeah. Yeah, that would I, make sense. Nice. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because reef is one, and then I think because reef has, reef is one of the guys, and then Blackwater is two, and I think one of the two in Blackwater did the reef. And then I think, he also, I think he also did a sequel to both as well. I think there are sequels to both. Yeah, he also did the movie The Jungle, which I never seen. It has a weird cover where it's like a leaves with a eye creature's eye on it. Let's see what else for me. Uh, and, and then obviously some of the, the more popular ones, of course. We discussed Lake Placid last week, which of course is still an absolute favorite, both for the fun ass action and of course Betty White absolutely stealing the show. Uh, a more recent entry, um, obviously one that's um, very popular in the uh, community because it was a theatrical release very recently is, of course, uh, Alexander Aja's Crawl, which was in my top ten for that year. I absolutely loved this film. Yeah, I love yeah, I just loved how they subverted my expectations throughout the film. And the dog lives. God damn it, the dog lives. I mean, come on. How many how many alligator crocodile movies where there is a, a prominent dog in the movie does the dog actually live? So yeah, rock on there. Oh, there's a bunch um, in the movie we're gonna talk about next. Exactly. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, our, today's movie is the complete antithesis of that. But yeah, we'll get to that. And then obviously anyone who knows me knows I'm a fan of like sci-fi original movies and stuff like the, you know, that comes out of the asylum and stuff like that. So there was one that I saw like uh, maybe like five, six years ago. That's not a good movie. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a good movie. What I will say is that I had an absolute blast with it. And any movie that has Debbie Gibson fighting Tiffany on a beach is okay in my book, my friend. So, yes, of course, I mean Mega Python versus Gatoroid, a sci-fi original from I, I forget what year. Not too long ago. maybe 2011. 10, 12, 2011. Oh, I was, I was nice. I was right. 10, 12 years ago. So 11 to be exact. Um, yeah, again, not a great film. Not anything that I would ever recommend to an actual cinephile. But if you are into, like I said, the sci-fi original, the tongue-in-cheek, the kind of satire of Jaws-style movies, then I, I had a blast with Mega Python and Gatoroid. I mean, hey, it's a sci-fi original. What else do I really need to tell you? you? You know what you're in for. You know what you're in for with the effects. You know what you're in for with the performances. You know what you're in for with just about everything in the film. So at least it doesn't, it, it's not pretentious in any way, which is always fun. And then there was one other one that I was thinking of. I, I think it was just called Croc, right? Wasn't there one that was just called Croc from like maybe 10, 12 years ago as well? Yeah, is that I the think, Michael Madsen movie? Yes, Michael Madsen. That's yeah, it. that's the one I brought up. Oh, okay, okay, my bad. Oh my yeah. God, yes. I, I remember I'm having saying, a good time with that one. That's what I'm saying. There was one I was thinking of, I think it was called Crawl, and it was like, I think it was set in Thailand and he was like the Quint character or for something like that. I, I think that was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. You have to away, right. now that I look at it, yeah. yeah. This one is set in Thailand. So yeah, you are correct. That's the one you were bringing up, but yeah, my God, oh. I, I just probably because of Michael Madsen, Michael Madsen is one of those guys that choose the scenery in every film he's in. And <laughs> he's like an Eric Roberts. You either love him or hate him. Ooh, why did I bring up Eric Roberts? I wonder anyway, he's the fucking man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm in the middle of a Batman uh, retrospective, and Eric Roberts makes an appearance in one of those. So yeah, oh yeah, he does. Yeah, and the uh, Dark Knight. Yeah, exactly. 
So uh, kind of a weird, I had completely forgotten that he was in that movie and it just completely took me out of it for like five minutes. But anyway, that's a discussion for another show. All right, folks. So that's it for our quickie little discussion on favorite alligator and crocodile movies. Hit us up on uh, Facebook and Twitter and hell, let us know what some of your favorites are. Maybe you'll see them reviewed on this show on a future episode. So, folks, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Not that we need one because we just started the show, but I need to plug a trailer in here. So let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, I'm going to play you the trailer, of course, for 1980s Alligator, starring Robert Forster, uh, directed by Louis Teague. And we will be right back. Beneath the streets. It's 36 feet long. It weighs over 2,000 pounds. And it's about to break out. We're looking at the one who saw it. And it was big. You said it was dark. Now, perhaps you're mistaken. half that size would starve in a week. He kept coming up with some garbage about alligators in the sewer. Alligators in the sewer? Once it escaped, there was no way to stop it. The public is my job. It could be anywhere. There he is. Ready to attack at any moment. Well, I've seen what this animal can do. You'd better take all the help you can get. And we're back. That was, of course, the trailer for 1980s Alligator. This movie is directed by Louis Teague. It is written by John Sayles. Um, in fact, it was written twice by John Sayles, but we'll get into that story here in a little bit. It stars, of course, Robert Forster as our lead, David Madison, Robin Riker as his love interest, and herpetologist Marissa Kendall. Along with a slew of some great, great character actors, guys like um, Michael uh, Michael Gazzo. Um, what else? Dean Why, Jagger. Yes. Oh my God, Dean Jagger is Slade, of course. Some uh, just oh, Jack Carter is the mayor. Sydney uh, Lassie and Henry Silva. Henry Silva. 
Henry Silva is. I I wish I would have seen him a little bit more in this film. We'll get into it here in a little bit because I kind of feel like this was the precursor to John Voight's character in Anaconda. (laughs) (laughs) If I remember correctly, they're both from Brazil, so I I just remember thinking, hmm, I wonder where that where John Voight's character came from. But yeah. And then, of course, our synopsis is as follows. A pet baby alligator is flushed down a toilet and survives in the city sewers. Twelve years later, it grows to an enormous size thanks to a diet of discarded laboratory dogs injected with growth hormones. Now humans have entered the menu. Oh, God, I wish I hadn't read that last line. Oh, well. (laughs) <laughs> Let's go ahead and start with uh, Don. Don, why don't you come in and tell me some of your general thoughts and maybe experiences with the movie Alligator? So this one I I've seen several times over. Um, I, I'm I love this movie. I think I saw it for the first time in the mid two thousands uh, somewhere. I think I caught a copy. Um, I, I I don't remember where I I want to say it was either Showtime or Stars or one of those channels, but I think they played it rarely. But it, I, I I caught it there and I I, I loved it. Um, uh, it. It's just so much fun. The fact that you know you're going to take this kind of goofy concept and you're going to try to take it you know seriously to where. You know, this isn't just, you know, one person fighting the, you know, fighting the croc and trying to, you know, take it on their terms. It becomes apparent, you know, throughout the course of the film that, you know, that there is obviously something there, that something is going on and it requires the city to, you know, go out out and try to stop this thing and try to put in, you know, these various plans into action to try to stop this. Uh, I, I think that provides a ton of just fun encounters, you know, just, there's just no shortage of fun scenes, whether it's down in the tunnels where, you know, you're trying to find the creature and, you know, it's lurking in the distance, but nobody knows it's there or it pops out and it just goes on a rampage in the middle of the streets in front of all these kids and just, you know, eating everyone that it can. It's far more accomplished than what you would think, um, which is kind of one of the, you know, big things for me. Uh, You know, they're, there, there's some real chilling sequences down in the tunnels. Um, I, I remember one in particular where it actually made me jump when they're walking through the tunnels. I think it's during either I, – I, I think it's one of the sweeps with the city patrolmen where they're walking through the tunnel and – you see them pass this one section and then all of a sudden behind them, like maybe a second or so behind it, but in on an up on an, the opposite side of the screen, you see him crossing behind them, trailing them. And for some reason like that actually just made me jump because you don't, I didn't expect him to be there. Like, you know, it was just like a weird thing where like, you know, a sequence like that made me jump. It's really just hard to kind of like be general about this just because, you know, I, I want to mention just how much fun this is. But the the encounters are just so over the top and, you know, taken with such an within it. The, the concept behind them is treated seriously, but the action is taken over the top to where it's it just becomes fun. And yeah, I mean, you know, I can quote tons of other sequences throughout here, but I think would rather discuss them throughout the course of the, you know, mm-hmm. our show here. So I, I I have a few small small nagging issues with it, uh, just a few areas here and there, but 
Uh, I, I mean, it's just so hard not to love this movie. Um, it, <laughs> what goes on in here is just so much fun. And to me, I think this is easily like the jaws of the series, the the genre, even though I think that there's a couple of other films that can actually lay claim to being there. I still think this is the best. So Very cool. They definitely agree with you there. Uh, Derek, why don't you come on in here? As a partially Balden man, I very emphasize Robert Forster's character in this movie. Man, that's the whole like scene with him and Sidney Lassick's amazing. I know what you're going through. Same thing, same thing. Look. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I remember seeing this movie probably in the early to mid-90s. Yeah, that sounds about right, because I would have been... Because I remember... Yeah, I think it was either 91 or 92 when I saw this movie. And, you know, the thing that I loved about it is... That whole sequence with the fucking gator just comes out of the fucking ground. <laughs> uh, that's the thing that I remember most from this movie growing up of when watching it. And, you know, this movie kind of disappeared from my life for a few milliseconds because, you know, it never got like a release, like a good one for a while until it did get like a Lionsgate DVD. Like in the well, early that's, that's not let's not mention that one and draw attention to that cover art. <laughs> well, like, I'm not saying, but you know, I'm I know, saying. but let's just draw, let's just draw attention. Let's just try not to draw attention to the fact that that exists because that's going to drive people to that cover art, and I don't want that to happen. I'm looking at that cover art now. And people complain about the Scream Factory cover art. At least it's actually in the movie. Let's yeah. just say, that. you know, yeah, I had that DVD, and you know, uh, I had it for a while. I burned a hole through it because. Let's just say I played that DVD a lot. <laughs> and, you know, it was kind of sad because then it cracked. And I was like, no. And then it was out of print. I'm like, then it was out of my life again. Then all of a sudden, I wake up one morning and see Scream Factories with an alligator on fucking 4K. I'm like, what? I wasn't expecting this to happen. But, uh, yeah, you know, we picked up the 4K release. I'm like, yep, day one, bye. Bye now. Buy this now. But, uh, yeah, I love this movie. I love Robert Forster as an actor. You know, even, like, the shittiest movies, he's actually pretty entertaining in. Like, Dragon Wars. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> but, uh, but, uh, yeah, this is a supporting cast of this movie. is great. I love Michael V. Gazzo. Hey, yo, Madison, what's going on? Fucking Dean Jagger. <laughs> uh, it was a cool, cool addition because, you know, he was in... One of uh, the, my favorite uh, Hammer movies, uh, The X of the Unknown, which, uh, yeah, that's pretty great. Sydney Elastic, Cheswick, for fucking one flu. Jack Cotter is great. Henry Silver, man, oh man. When he's just doing those weird animal noises to that reporter, I'm like, I need like a whole movie of just this character. <laughs> I needed to take a shower after that scene. <laughs> He's like, this is how the, uh, I was like, <laughs> and you know, he always has the greatest deaths in movies. Uh, this is a little off topic, but I was watching the Osploitation movie Thirst for a uh, kind of a consideration of a movie I was going to pick for a certain other show. But you know, his death scene in that cracks me up too. And he has some great deaths in film in general. Like in fucking the Italian connect, uh, caliber, not, 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 you know, it is the Italian connection. That's right. 
he gets pulled ran over by a steamroller. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he he's known for great deaths, and I always love to see him pop up in movies. And you know, I'm like the first time I ever seen Ghost Dog because I'm like, damn, it's the guy from fucking Alligator. He's in this movie. It's great. <laughs> but uh, yeah. There's some cheesy stuff that's kind of dated in the movie, but overall, I think the effects for what they are work for it. I love how they mix it with like a puppet with you know the miniatures. It actually looks a lot better than the last movie we reviewed. <laughs> Much. Yeah, but overall, I love this movie. I love the score. Louis Teague went on the course to direct Cujo after this. So oh, cat's eye. Yeah, and uh. He built it, and this is the movie that got him that job of doing Cujo, because Stephen King's a fan of this movie. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Alligator. Oh, man, for me, oh, man, I don't remember the exact year I saw this the first time. I do definitely know that it was the TV edit. I saw it on television. I want to say it was sometime in the mid to late 80s, so definitely didn't catch this in theaters, something that happened much later, but I just remember just gleefully watching this that first time as a kid on TV, as a teenager, really, by the mid-80s, and just, yeah, absolutely enjoying it, because something about... When growing up, I never looked at TV movies as like actual cinema. You know what I mean? It's kind of the way Mar- the way Martin Scorsese looks at Marvel movies <laughs> now. I, I didn't look at TV movies as cinema, so I never expected much. If I knew that I was watching, and granted, Alligator is not a TV movie. This was just the TV edit. I didn't know such a thing existed back in the mid '80s. But the the point is, is that when I saw this. I wasn't expecting much because it was because I thought it was a TV movie and I ended up having an absolute great time with it. I still have very vivid memories of watching the wedding scene and absolutely laughing out loud with my father in our living room, just having an absolute (laughs) blast with this movie. And even I remember my father um, watching this with me the first time calling out actors that he remembered from other movies. movies like Slade when 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 old man Slade shows up he's like oh yeah that guy was in this and this and that I would never consider myself a dad necessarily a cinephile but he did like what he liked it, it, it's one of the more fond memories I have of my dad just watching this movie and having an absolute blast with it but yeah even even today watching it this week this movie is a lot better than it has any right to be I mean when you think about a movie that's just called Alligator that has less than a $2 million budget yet is still shot in LA. Like you you don't expect much. You think that it's going to be just low budget tripe. And we actually end up getting a decent little movie here. We get a fairly well-written movie written by John Sayles, as I mentioned earlier. Um, He actually rewrote this movie um, from what I understand, because uh, the, the original story for this was basically set in Milwaukee. And they were going to have the alligator get mutated by discarded beer from all all the beer factories, uh, the beer breweries in Milwaukee, basically discarding all their unusable beer. So, yeah, it was going to turn into just basically a drunk alligator, which uh, comes off as kind of hokey. Wait, 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 quick question. Were they going to cast Rick Moranis and Dave Arnold in this movie? (laughs) Yeah, hosers. Oh, so good. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, man. But yeah, so um, Lewis Teague actually took this job on the condition that John Sayles could rewrite it because he just hated this story. Um, though he did want to do the, a movie based on a giant alligator marauding the streets of L.A. So Teague and Sayles actually worked together on multiple projects, both before this and um Definitely a few projects after this. For those who don't know, this is Louis Teague's second production after his uh, directorial debut with The Lady in Red. Man, the, when, when I say this movie is better than it has any right to be, the cast is a big part of it. Um, to bring in all of these great character actors who, you know, you may not know by name. A lot of people may not know by name. You, you know them by face. You know them by other movies. You've seen them in, you know, when you see Michael Gazzo, it's like, oh, fucking The Godfather, which, of course, is my favorite film for those who don't know. Regardless of genre, The Godfather is my favorite movie ever. So, yeah, when I see a Godfather alum in any other movie, I instantly get excited. But the fact that this is a creature feature with a Godfather alum in here just absolutely just tickles me. Getting to see Jack Carter as the mayor playing the, you know, the kind of scum villainy uh, types of roles that he usually plays. And Henry Silva, as we've already discussed, and as I mentioned really briefly earlier, I really wish we would have gotten more of Henry Silva. Because as over-the-top and goofy as he was, he was still one of the most entertaining parts of the film, as far as straight comedy goes. He had some of the best one-liners, as Derek mentioned, his conversation with the reporter, giving her all the like the mating calls of the alligators, <laughs> and just wow, I I, I could not. And, and the motherfucker is charismatic. Like there is there is no denying that he gets all the ladies he wants. You know, I when we see him sitting there talking, um, he obviously tries the same thing when he first meets Doctor Kendall Marissa, uh, but obviously you know she's. At this point, already mildly interested in David Madison, Robert Forrester's character. And obviously, she's very concerned with the welfare of the gator, as she doesn't really want to see it die, necessarily. But of course, it is a giant mutated gator. I mean, you know, catching the thing would be near impossible. So I think she understands that it does have to get taken down, but she's not necessarily happy about it. And plot twist, it's her gator. And yes, uh, we uh, the, our movie opens up with a cold open of a basically a gator show, like a gator wrestling show, and one of the guys in the show actually legitimately gets attacked by a gator. A gator grabs his leg. He does his little death spin thing that gators do in the water. Ends up injuring the the uh, the wrestler, um, not killing him. He's he's able to get pulled away and taken to a hospital. But at this event, we see what we later find out to be a very young Marissa Kendall. Yes, our herpetologist or hepatologist, however you pronounce it, I forget exactly, is uh, basically she's already fascinated with gators before they ever go to this show. But once she's there and she sees this gator attack the guy and, you know, she's in. Oh, she just becomes even more fascinated with the creatures. Obviously, she's a hepatologist, which is all reptiles, not just gators. But obviously, her interest kind of spawned from this day. And then because of the, her you know, newly found interest in the animals, her parents, like the responsible adults that they fucking are, buy her a baby gator, which... Uh, by one of the pirates, the pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's funny. He's uh, a sweetie, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I even in 1979 or 1980, I have to question the uh, 
the, the judgment of parents who are buying their child a baby alligator. It, it, well, the mom's not all there. Oh, no. Oh, food. yeah. Mom is gone <laughs> from the start. <laughs> uh, and dad just, I don't know. Dad He's just is, angry. He's just pissed. He just walks yeah. in pissed for some reason. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so, like I said, these two parents who, you know, are being parents of the year buy their child a baby alligator. And then literally the fucking next day, Dad just flies off the handle, and we don't even know why. I mean, did you notice that? Dad literally just comes into the room, and he's pissed off. He, he he does ask where his daughter is, but then, you know, Mom says she's not here, and he just... Maybe he's just shit-faced. He's I, just I, shit-faced. I, I'd like to think so. I really hope, because he did kind of stumble when he went into the bathroom, but Jesus Christ, like, he just flew off the handle for no reason. Somebody like, said hi to him. I, I, I would believe that. Like, I thought my dad flew off the handle for nothing. This guy, literally, it's like a bird flew by the window and it pissed him off. Just, yeah. And then, and of course, he flushes the gator down the toilet, the adorable baby gator, and hence begins the festivities of our film. So, man, yeah, this this movie is, I've always found this to be a really, really fun movie. I always wished it had a little bit more blood in it. Now, you know, I understand that this is a low-budget film from 1980, shot in 1979, so, uh, you know, obviously they're not going to have the biggest effects budget, but it's not necessarily gore that I'm looking for. It's just blood. I mean, because these are gators. This, This giant gator is literally biting people's limbs off, and we're getting no arterial spray. Again, it's a minor complaint. It's it's just one of those things that I would have liked to have seen. I mean, this is a giant gator. He's not going to be able to bite people's limbs clean off. I mean, literally, it looked like it was cut off with a samurai sword, just the cleanest cuts ever. So, you know, some some mild mild suspension of disbelief there. Yeah. But overall, just what a fun-ass movie. Like I said, easily easily one of, if not the best of the you know, post Jaws, you know, natural uh, disaster type, not natural disaster, but like, you know, creature nature features, run amok. Creature features uh, you know, nature run amok creature features, you know, stuff like Piranha. I know Piranha is another one that people might look at as one of the best post Jaws ripoffs, alligator, things like that. So, and in my opinion, I, I actually prefer this one to Piranha as, as great a movie as Piranha is, and it is a legitimately good movie. I've always I've always liked this one better. I'm not going to sit here and claim that this one is a better made film by any stretch of the imagination, but I just always found this one to be so much more fun. And it, it's really for me about the alligator effects in this one. Like I I think it's absolutely brilliant how they were able to shoot some of the you know the real life alligators um, shots walking through miniature sets, you know. Because I Ooh, I I completely disagree. That's one of my issues with it is uh, the baby uh, alligator and the min- and the miniature uh, sewers at the ending. That looked so hokey and so completely out of place. Oh, maybe the one at the end. Maybe I'm not thinking about that as much. But I I'm talking about like when he first jumps into the lake. I think that shot looks really good. Yeah, when he comes um, out of the street, that's pretty great too. Yeah, when he's just walking down the street and. One of the things that I learned while, you know, watching special features, which I'm sure, you know, most of us did, or if they didn't already know, is that these weren't even full-grown alligators. I had no idea. They're literally using baby alligators in these shots because, as John Sayles mentions in one of the special features, baby alligators have the exact same proportions as an adult alligator. 
You know, they look the same, just that they're smaller. It's not like a human baby where our, our proportions are different and our limbs extend and blah, blah, blah. No, a baby alligator looks just like an adult. So they're, they're literally using a baby alligator and then slowing down the film because as anyone who's ever seen a baby alligator move, but they're faster. Not, yeah, they're, they don't, they scurry or they scatter. They're not exactly like lumbering walkers. They tend to kind of, you know, uh, uh, scurry everywhere. So, Basically, Lewis Teague took that footage and slowed it down to make it look like it was a more, pro, you know, plotting, you know, big creature taking these big, heavy footsteps. And I, I think he did great. I mean, for for the time period on this film and the budget on this film, I honestly I love those early miniature shots. I thought they looked great. I mean, considering what the alternative would be. I mean, what's the alternative? Superimposing a real alligator over you know, a green screen or a blue screen, um, you know, or, well, obviously this is before the days of CGI, but they still could have done like on-screen animation, like, you know, we see in a lot of older films pre 1980s So th this movie could have gone wrong in a lot of ways. And I feel like they did what they needed to do to put out a really, really great alligator movie. Derek, what do you think of the kills in this one? Talk to me. I can see why you, because uh, say, but maybe it's a little less bloody than usual movies, but he, you know, Louis Teague was definitely going for that less is more effect at the beginning, kind of like Jaws did. Mm -hmm. We didn't really get to see the blood, and t you didn't get to really see like the kills. The the kills advance as we finally find out that there's this giant alligator, and when we get revealed. And we do get those scenes where he's eating more. And, you know, my favorite thing ever is my favorite kill. And it's the other thing that I always remember from this movie. is they fucking kill a fucking kid in this movie. And it's fucking great. <laughs> I literally applauded when I saw that this time. I had completely... Because I thought that was going to be like a misdirection scene. But then they, I forgot that they actually do chomp down on that kid. I fucking applauded in my living room. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love it still. It's like this whole thing, and the kids are like, oh, shit, my mom's going to kill me. <laughs> Mom, we killed our little brother. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, any movie of any era that has the balls to take out little kids, I'm on board for. It's it's like one of the last taboos of cinema, and um, it's ultimately it's realistic. You know, any yeah. killer that's out there indiscriminately killing is going to kill children just as much as an adult, and you know, um, maybe not in every instance, of course, but it's still realism. So yeah, I mean, the gator doesn't know that it's a kid. All he knows is, hmm, a chicken McNugget just fell in the pool. I might as well eat it. Yeah. And like like it goes from like not seeing the kills at all, and then you get that giant giant carnage scene at the end with the fucking wedding. You know, oh yeah, so that's my favorite kill. That's funny because my favorite kill in the movie doesn't involve chomping down. It's got to do with Slade's death. I love the fact that the alligator. However you want to look at it, maybe does the alligator know that this is the guy responsible for his mutation? Not likely, of course, but who knows? Maybe there's some kind of sixth sense that this alligator has. I mean, hell, the the Jaws, uh, excuse me, the Shark and Jaws 4 was on a personal vendetta, so I, I can't really put it past an alligator. He, he, he was like, hey, yo, Slade, you made me <laughs> the bad guy. Oh, shit. 
So yeah, Ramon. <laughs> yeah, folks, if you're hearing all of the Razor Ramon impressions, of course it is because our baby alligator in the opening scene was named Ramon by um, young Marissa Kendall. And for those who don't know, Marone, uh, Ramon, excuse me, is actually an artist friend of Robert Forster. Um, if you if you carefully watch the movie, you'll actually see a poster with Ramon Martinez's name at the bottom in David's apartment, like right behind his bed. So, yeah, eagle eyed viewers will see that. And that's the Ramon. Um, that's actually like I said, he is a local L.A. artist or was in 1980, a local L.A. artist that was personal friends with uh, Robert Forster Forster, you know, had an agreement with John Sayles to just throw a piece of his artwork in there. It, it just started as putting that poster in the movie. That was it. That was all he had asked. But then John was like, well, fuck it. Let's just call the Gator Ramon just to give him an extra little shout out. And from what I understand, Robert Forster loved it. And history is made. Our alligator is named Ramon. So, yeah, folks, yeah, you're going to hear Razor Ramon impressions all day. Bear with us. The man, oh, yeah. the man just passed away, and I got a 4K release of my favorite alligator movie ever. So the two are gonna kind of mutually, uh, you know, exist for a little bit, at least for the majority of this episode. So bear with us, Don. Uh, why don't you come in? And, uh, you were you were talking about not liking the miniature effects too much. What'd you think of the like the rest of the effects in the film? Ah, uh, there's some. They're awesome. Um, I mean, the practical gator prop is just uh, absolutely amazing. I, I think they use it for a lot of the close-up sequences. I mean, I know that's got to be in the sequence where it attacks Henry Silva in the alleyway, you know, where it chomps on him in the trash. Uh, that's one of the big sequences there. Um, you know, again, just because you know the fun of seeing Henry Silva get chomped the way he does. Um, I, I, you know, that's also like you know the only real shot of blood and gore in the film because i mean the kid death is just you know the water splash and you know the the blood cloud fills the the pool mm-hmm. but yeah that's kind of like you know the only real instance of blood and gore in the film so it kind of you know just makes it stand out even more just you know on top of it being you know henry silva getting a cool death but yeah in, in general I, I i do really enjoy the effects um I mean, like the only real instances where it looks kind of cheap and hokey is the miniature gator, you know, the baby gator and the miniature sets at the end. But (laughs) yeah, other than that, I don't have any issues with it. Um, Mixing together the practical with the real, the real croc in the, you know, the sequences outdoors or, you know, it's in the, uh, the, the pond where, you know, it escapes. Uh, Yeah. There's no real issues on my end with that kind of stuff. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, like I said, just it was the the sequence in the uh, the sewers with the miniature the miniature sets. That's kind of the the big scene for me that kind of stuck out. Yeah. Which is even worse because it's the finale, so it's kind of the point where sure. it's kind of you know you wanted to you know build suspense, and it's trying to you know they ha- they they do the cool thing where they put the timer on it with the way that they're going to kill him. I'm not going to say so for spoilers, but. Mm-hmm. You know, you you got a timer on, you know, the line and, you know, you're trying to, you know, get invested in the scene. And, you know, you have this other obstacle that's going to be right in the middle of everything. It, you know, it, it's a great sequence and it's really kind of cool the way it comes off. And then all of a sudden you've got this miniature gator and, you know, this goofy looking uh, sewer setup, And it just kind of takes you out of it for a while. But I mean, other than that, there there's no real issues with me for the special effects. Um, Man, one one thing that this movie taught me: puppies with no bark 
are way sadder than I thought they were. Yeah. Holy shit. When that when that puppy barked and there was no noise at all, I'm like, oh my god. Like that that actually hit me hard. For those who don't know what the hell we're talking about, uh in the film there is a laboratory who is doing experiments on um local abandoned and stolen dogs in the area. You probably remember that from the synopsis that I read earlier. Well, basically because of the amount of, you know, strays and, and rescues and everything that they have in there, they actually put all the dogs through a procedure where they cut their larynx, basically their voice box. They, they cut their voice box, and when they bark, they don't make any noise at all. And after this is explained to David Madison, uh, the camera pans down to one of the dogs, and he looks in the camera and barks, but no noise comes out. Holy shit. That was way sadder than I expected. Uh, that that took me out of the movie. I was literally sad for like a good two, three minutes after that. I'm like, oh, that's fucking cruel. <laughs> holy shit. The reporter in this movie. Holy shit. How many times would that guy have gotten arrested in real life? He, he constantly found himself. I mean, he, he literally walks into David Madison's hospital room. Right after uh, David's found unconscious in the street after his first encounter with the alligator. And he's literally in the room asking questions with the fucking police chief standing right there. I'm glad that guy died so bad because his, oh, yeah. his eyebrows were annoying me. Actually, yeah, his like vaguely Middle Eastern look was like really freaking me out. Like he had he had really dark skin like he was Indian or Pakistani, but he basically looked like a white man. So like it, it was a very odd combination for uh, for that actor. I I should have looked him up to see what his nationality was because it it was an odd one, a vaguely Indian, Middle Eastern, vaguely Far Eastern. I I don't know. That was a weird one. I thought there was some Filipino in there. I don't know, man. He was a weird looking dude. But yeah, obviously he was our guilty pleasure kill of the movie. He was just a complete asshole to David throughout the movie, constantly mentioning an event from his past where David's partner was killed in a shooting. Um, he was actually shot by David's own gun in, uh, you know, what turned into like a, a mild hostage situation. And then, of course, after David and Officer Kelly go down into the sewers this time around, once again, uh, David loses a partner. Partner, not really a partner, because I mean they were these two were never partners. They just kind of were working together on this one thing. But um, yeah, they knew uh, each so other for ten minutes. Yeah, exactly. Partners for five or ten minutes. Yeah. So once Officer Kelly is then dragged away by the alligator in what is a pretty tense scene, actually, I thought it was a pretty cool tense scene there. Um, again, our reporter, our scumbag reporter, shows up to give David more shit about losing partners and how it's becoming a habit and things like that. He he's is losing, definitely... He's losing, par he's losing partners like he's losing hair. Oh, my God, the hair comments. I got to say, 100% kudos to Robert Forster, because what had happened was, um, and, you know, you get this story from watching the special features on the Blu-ray. Yeah. What had happened was he was, his, he was losing his hair for years before Alligator was filmed. But right when alligators started filming, he started getting plugs. He started getting like hair replacement treatments. Um, but it was obviously too early in the treatment for it to make any kind of difference for the film. And he was convinced that people were going to make fun of his thinning hairline because he has that, you know, he's got that thinning in the front and then that one patch like at the top of your head that's also thinning. 
And um, he decided, well, fuck it. Before any anybody, any fans or critics even get a chance to make fun of me, I'm going to make fun of myself in the film. And literally, Robert Forster had John Sayles add lines to the script that actually make fun of his hairline. In the very first one, it's in the pet store with uh, Sidney Lassick's character. And literally, Sidney Lassick's character out of nowhere just goes, I'm sorry, I know how you feel. And David's like, what? What the hell are you talking about? And then he and then Sidney tips his head down. And he's like, same thing. You know, the thinning hair in front, the patch on top. I went through the same thing when I was, you know, when I was your age, blah, blah, blah. And of course, Robert Forster's character is just, you know, very unamused by the comment. But then we get more comments, which is hysterical. Like Robert Forster is such a great sport that he literally lets them make fun of him two or three times in the film. Because I think um, uh, Marissa's character makes a comment, or doesn't make a comment, but implies something because she starts playing with his hair. And then he gets all defensive and, you know, uh, <laughs> says something. I've been dealing with it, you know, I've been dealing with male pattern baldness for years. So stop giving me crap about it or whatever. Even though she didn't really say anything. But I understand where he's coming from because no guy likes dealing with thinning hair, I assure you. Um, man, <laughs> they, they, call, they call the alligator Alexander in the film. And I think we could do better than Alexander. What do you guys think? It, it just seems, I don't know. It's it, it, like they, they just wanted to come up with an A name. It's like, oh, what's an A name? Oh, Alexander. Okay, we'll go with that. It's like, nah, man, be more creative. Yeah, Ramon fits him a lot better. Oh, Ramon is so hey, much better. Even though there's no background to why she, little Marissa wanted to call him Ramon. Like she doesn't mention like having a friend or a, a maybe a fictional character. She's just like flat out. No, nah, I'm going to call him Ramon. I'm like, all right, that works out good. So yeah, Ramon is endlessly better than uh, Alexander. And then of course, about some time in the third act is where we start getting the kind of conspiracy theory underworld stuff start uh, showing its ugly head where it turns out that it actually is. Um, the Slade family, specifically the patriarch of the family, Mr. Slade, played by Dean Jagger, who is um, knowingly experimenting on these dogs with a growth hormone. They're actually experimenting with growth hormones to try to help like crops and things trying to help. And cows, they're talking about how, you know, you could you could make a cow that's like four times the size of a normal cow. And then that's going to that's going to help, obviously, the starvation yeah. situation. Yeah, they got the food of the gods. There you go. Yes, thank you. Food of the gods. I like it. But yeah, like I said, uh, this is why I was wondering, like, if, if the alligator's overly brutal kill of Mr. Slade was like a personal vendetta or he just got lucky. He's just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to smash this random guy. And hey, look at that. It's actually the big boss. So rock on. I, he had already killed the mayor earlier because the mayor, of course, was in on this as well. Once again, no idea that the alligator would know any of this so much as the mayor was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But, yeah, he's the one who gets smashed into the outside of Mr. Slade's limo um, in one of the bloodier kills in the movie, definitely. And then, of course, the glorious death of Mr. Slade, where the alligator uses its tail to just absolutely smash the shit out of his limo. I mean, when the alligator's done, it's like literally the doors have fallen out. You could see the arm of the uh, valet, the driver, kind of sticking out of the car. You don't, I don't think you see any of Mr. Slade sticking out. But, yeah, the, the car is just an absolute wreck. So, like I said, potentially my favorite death in the movie. Obviously, you know, because 
the character deserved it more than anything, but just because of how gleefully violent the scene was, just really, really uh, worked for me. Uh, <laughs> at one point in my notes, I actually wrote down, why don't you just have Michael Gazzo yell at the alligator? Michael Gazzo's voice. Hey, Mo, what are you doing? Holy Come shit. He yells, it's like the fucking sirens of hell. I, it's fucking terrifying. Hey, what's going on? A gravelly-voiced Italian man yelling at you. So I'm like, I'm like, just give him a fucking megaphone and let him yell at the alligator. That would probably work. It would work on me. And then, of course, you know, this is all during the third act, which, as Don mentioned earlier, absolutely bonkers. All the fun action is loaded in the third act. We see the alligator take out a police boat, which is actually pretty fucking glorious. Um, we actually see him bite the legs off of one of the officers um, on one of the boats. Obviously, um, it's a paraplegic actor who lost his legs, obviously, well before this movie. But just to be able to find a paraplegic actor like that to pull off that effect, because obviously... This is before green screen technology was where it is now. So, you know, to be able to do like a Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder in 1980 than it was in 1996 or seven, whenever Forrest Gump was. Um, so, yeah, uh, kudos on that shot. Looked really, really nice. Um, I love the alligator's entrance to the wedding. It's just a big, boisterous fuck all, y'all. He just comes right out of the bushes. Bites one of the maids down. I, the, the gator kills in this movie are a little odd at times because you'll see him take an entire person in his mouth, but then we'll see that person's dead body later. So this gator's obviously not killing to eat. He's killing out of anger, I'm assuming. I can only assume that whatever mutation he's gone through has also yeah. affected his psyche. So he's just an angry, pissed off giant gator. Because he's not eating anything in this movie. Like, you know, we see... We see that it's implied that he eats a lot of, like, um, dogs throughout the film. Uh, there's dead dogs throughout this film, as I was talking about this being the antithesis of Crawl earlier, where in Crawl the dog lives, and here <laughs> dozens upon dozens of dogs die. Granted, they don't necessarily die at the hands of the alligator, but the fact that the alligator is chomping down on all of these dogs' bodies, and you see, like, you know, dogs that are like cut in half and missing their stomach and blah, 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 blah. So the gator's obviously eating really good down there. Um, and then, you know, from there, it just kind of leads to our finale uh, out into the back into the LA river, back into its home base, into the sewers of the LA of back LA the movie. Them back to them. Yes. Which uh, once again, uh, you know, as we learned in the special features, this is the, uh, the same section of the LA river where they shot them in 1954, another film that we've already talked about here. So nice little callback. Um, basically our alligator is, um, you know, decides that he's in too much danger to be out in the open. So he decides to go back home to his little area. He has like a certain hub in the L.A. River sewers that he calls home uh, for whatever reason he his feels nest. safe. Yeah, his nest, exactly. Thank you. And, you know, basically we just get a plot of, you know, uh, David Madison basically right after he is fired from the police force for kind of sticking his nose where it doesn't belong, he ends up stealing some explosives and a detonator from the evidence locker uh, basically on his way out. Why, why should there be a guard at the evidence locker? That's just dumb. So, yeah, yeah. whatever. 
uh, suspension of disbelief. <laughs> he goes into the, the locker, takes all this stuff, ends up going back down to his nest, to the alligator's nest area, setting up a bomb, which eventually does go off, killing our alligator and almost killing David in the process. We get kind of a little cool suspenseful scene where the um, the manhole cover that David was planning on escaping from is now covered by a car. Uh, basically, there's a car tire right over the manhole cover, so he can't get out. Luckily for David, uh, Marissa knew exactly what manhole cover he was supposed to come out of. She is already there, ready to meet him. She sees that this old woman's car is covering the hole. She's able to get the car out of the way in the nick of time for David to get out and for us to get a glorious explosion where the alligator's head basically, like the whole top of his head just blows right the fuck up. It is, it, it's a pretty great explosion. It could have been a lot way, better. Uh, oh, what's up, Derek? I forgot to mention, this might be the best part to mention the best star that came out of this movie. Who's that? Brian Cranston worked on the effects of this movie. That's right, my friends. Brian Cranston, uh, Heisenberg himself, actually was a production assistant on this movie, and he was tasked with filling the fake alligator with blood and guts. Literally, his main job on the set was creating the fake blood with caro syrup. Um, he actually tells a great story about how he was going around to every store in the L.A. area buying up all the caro syrup and, um, and like random bits of meat and things like that to to create guts. Now, the alligator that gets blown up at the end of the movie is not the alligator that we see. It's not the practical alligator that we see throughout the film um, because they only made one alligator for the film to try to recoup their um, their budget on the film. They ended up selling that alligator to the University of Florida, yes, for the next... Florida I Gators, think, yeah. Exactly. So like, I think it was like for the next 14 or 15 years, Ramon the Alligator, the actual prop from Alligator, was the official mascot of the Florida Gators. They actually, they, they put it on like a... Um, like a car, uh, like they basically cut the top of a car off and they put Ramon on top of it. So it looked like he was kind of walking as the driver was kind of, you know, driving the lower part uh, throughout the stadium. There's actually pictures of it, too, in the special feature on the Blu-ray. And it does look pretty cool. So they actually made another um, like another fake alligator for that explosion. If I remember correctly, I think they said they made it of a lighter material and instead of using metal parts, I think they said they used bamboo as the framework for that one so that it would tear apart really nice, which it really does. I mean, the actual impact of the explosion on the gator does look cool. Like I said, it rips off like part of the top of his head, almost like its whole top jaw just comes dislocated and comes off. Very cool looking effect, at least for a low budget movie in 1980. I'm going to say this was a very satisfying ending for me. Um, obviously it could have looked better if the movie had a $10 million budget, it's going to look, you know, umpteen times better, but for what we got for the budget that we had for the very young director and writer and crew that was working on this, I think they did a great job. Um, classic is a word that gets thrown around fairly easily. Can it be attached to this movie? I think in a lot of people's eyes, it can. I personally consider it a classic. I think I think it's a beautiful film. 
Um, they were able to do so much more with this film than the budget normally would allow. And and look at all the names they were able to get for it, too. I mean, for a movie with an under $2 million budget, they're able to get a really decent cast, some decent effects. They're able to shoot in downtown Los Angeles in the L.A. River. So they definitely had a good producer on that production because he was uh, he or she was able to really spend the money well, because um, you can see, I mean, it just looks to me, it looks like more than a two million dollar movie. You know, there, there's a lot of cool uh, effects going going around, um, some cool kills, you know, some body parts some severed limbs here and there that, you know, may not be the most expensive things in the world. But I mean, it still adds that little bit of atmos- atmosphere and tension to the film. So, yeah. Overall, really, really fun. The main thing I walked away with from this viewing is that I always thought this movie was a lot more balanced with its alligator action. But on this viewing, it's it's very obvious that the third act is kind of the bulk of all the alligator stuff. For some reason, I remembered because admittedly, I haven't seen this movie in like 10 to 15 years, at least 10 to 15 years, maybe more since the last time I sat down to watch this. And I thought that there was more alligator action in the first half. Um, You don't get a lot, but they pepper it in at a good pace. You know, I'm not saying that the beginning of the movie is boring, not by any stretch of the imagination. We still got some great characters, some good story development, things like that. Um, For for some reason, I just remembered it being more balanced with its alligator action, but it's not a major complaint. Like I said, it was just something that um, I hadn't thought about. Uh, Um, so yeah, and then some of the uh, some of the notes that I took while watching the special features um, so were pretty interesting. Some different things that I hadn't learned. Obviously, we've already talked about Brian Cranston being a production assistant on this film. A very very young Brian Cranston hadn't acted yet. I think he had done some commercials at this point, but he wasn't really necessarily thinking about becoming a, like a, a film actor. <laughs> and the story is, is that he just happened to be on the set one day when a Lewis Teague said he needed a, a another production assistant for the special effects department. Literally, Brian Cranston just happened to be standing there, heard Lewis Teague say this and just raised his hand and said, I'll do it. Everybody looks around. No one knows who this kid is, because, like I said, he's not even really an employee of the studio or anything. And they're like, well, fuck it. He's here. So take him. And that's fucking history. That's it. Just. Uh, being in the right place at the right time means a lot in almost any industry. But yeah, I'm sure Brian Cranston, uh, you know, has some fond memories. He even tells a great story about meeting Robert Forster one day, like on the way to the set where they were all getting like bust over to the actual LA river set since there was no parking there. And just uh, great stories about how Robert Forster introduced them and shown it actually showed Brian some legitimate interest in what he was doing, even though what Brian thought he was doing was boring, you know, just stuffing this alligator with fake blood and guts, you know, for the eventual final shot of the movie. But um, Forster actually showed some genuine interest. And then, of course, to people who are hardcore viewers of Breaking Bad, you know that Brian Cranston and Robert Forster do reunite on Breaking Bad. Um, they actually, I think Robert Forster appears in what, like a season three episode, I believe, of uh, Breaking yeah. Bad. They actually showed a few clips during the special feature. So that was pretty cool. And uh, Brian Cranston kind of relaying the story of how Robert Forster didn't even remember him. Like when they met on the set of Breaking Bad, Brian Cranston is like, yeah, we, we've met before. We've actually worked before. And Forster didn't remember him. 
But uh, Brian Cranston talked about how much respect he had for the man because he admitted that he didn't remember him, that he didn't uh, he didn't try to lie and say, oh, yeah, I remember you. Yeah. How you doing? No, the forcer flat out was like, nope, I don't remember you. But it sounds like something <laughs> that I would have done talking to you about your job that day. So uh, just a great story about um Robert Forster, young Robert Forster, and then older Robert Forster. <laughs> a great little tidbit. Robin Riker and Robert Forster were actually legitimately stoned during the diner scene. There is a quick scene in the movie where right after they have sex for the first time, they go out to eat at a diner. They are legitimately stoned in that scene. Apparently, they were in Robert Forster's um not not trailers since they didn't have trailers back then, but they they were like hanging around his car or whatever. Uh, they decided to smoke a joint, but then they got called to set unexpectedly, and they ended up doing that whole scene stoned. And if you look really, really carefully, it could just me being weird, like you know, maybe seeing what I want to see. But if I, when I looked really carefully, I could almost swear their eyes were really red in that scene because they're really giggly. I mean, they're supposed to be. That's what the scene calls for, but. Even for a couple of grown ass adults, they're a little giggly and, you know, it's kind of silly. It's not the kind of thing you'd notice if no one said anything, but I thought it was kind of cool that they did. Um, some of the severed limbs on the production of Alligator were actually leftovers from Piranha. Nice. They were just uh, left leftover body parts that they had never thrown away from Piranha. They filed them and... Since they were already made, obviously, it's a cheaper alternative than having new limbs made, which is usually because those things are just made of foam rubber. So usually, you know, productions will just have new ones made for their movies. But, yeah, just another way for them to save money. We already mentioned that this is the same part of the L.A. River that the movie Them from 1954 is set in. Um, We already talked about Ramon being named by... uh, being named for an artist friend of Robert Forster in L.A. And then the last little tidbit I have written down that I thought was really cool and never I never really thought about it until it was actually spoken out loud. But there's actually a moral to Alligator. There's actually some underlying subtext here. And the moral of this movie, and this is coming directly from John Sayles, the man who wrote the movie. So I'm going to take him 100 percent at his word. The moral of this movie is that authorities don't deal with a problem until it reaches the upper class. Now, think about the movie. For those of you who are familiar with the alligator movie, when the alligator first starts marauding, he's just taking out dogs and maybe some homeless people here and there. uh, And the police don't really do anything. Then suddenly he starts taking out um, blue collar workers like uh, sewage workers, you know, Um, things like that. And then suddenly the police start to show a little bit of an interest. But then once the alligator like shows up at Slade mansion, suddenly the entire police. All hands on deck. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's all hands on deck. And I never thought about that watching this any of the times over the years that I've watched this, but it makes a hundred percent sense. Authorities don't deal with a problem until it uh, until it gets to the upper class and until it gets to the people that are more directly paying their salary. So yeah, yeah I thought that was really cool on John sales part to throw that. And, and, and only John sales could do that as a writer. Uh, Cause even in his own work, he always puts that social commentary in his own films. Yes, absolutely. As a great writer always does, you know, whether, whether it's obvious or buried under the surface. Yeah. The great writers will always have some subtext in there. So yeah, I thought that was really cool to point out there with that. Something that I had never 
like I like I, like I've already said, I'd never thought about it. And when John Sales actually says it in that interview, it's like son of a bitch. That makes a hundred percent fucking sense. And I'm pissed off at myself for not noticing that sooner. <laughs> That's about everything that I have, Don uh, or Derek. Uh, you guys have anything else you want to add on alligator? Yeah, yeah, I have a quick little facts. Uh, John yeah. Sills actually was writing the screenplay for Alligator while he's writing the screenplay for The Howling at the same time. Ooh. And actually, funny enough, I'm going to go to The Howling special features where, you know, John Sills would be in his hotel room. Joe Dante would be knocking on the door and you hear, and he's switching the paper, put the Howling script in and take the Alligator script out. <laughs> And, you know, he's like Joe Dante kind of joked, I think maybe Alligator got one of our dream sequences and they got one of our dream sequences from our movie. Because <laughs> they both have dream sequences in that both movies. <laughs> Valid. But yeah, this is a great release. I love it. Yeah, folks, um, you know, you're looking at a three-disc edition with this new Screen Factory release. You're looking at the 4K UHD that just has the theatrical version. You're looking at... Um, the second disc, which is a Blu-ray, which also has a theatrical edition, plus all the special features, all the interviews, trailers, things like that. No commentary track, though, huh? I was, oh, there it is. Yeah, there is a commentary track. Yeah, it's, a, it's the mean, one from the old Lionsgate DVD. Okay. I'll pour it over. There one of these days. Um, a cool little Trailers from Hell segment with Karin Kasama. Um who uh, wrote and directed The Invitation, I believe, was her big film. She was also in that XX um, anthology. She did one of the segments for that, too. So, And then the third disc of the set is also a Blu-ray that has the TV version of this movie. So if you, if you throw in the special features, they actually do isolate all the TV extra scenes that are in there. And obviously... They're TV scenes, so they're obviously going to be tame. They're they're meant to kind of just uh, replace some of the bloodier or more uncomfortable scenes in the theatrical version. So we get stuff like an extra shot of a mother who thinks that she loses her daughter. Like she goes inside and then she comes back out and her daughter's missing. But then she ends up finding her hiding under a laundry basket. Uh, the camera pans over to show a giant hole in the fence, in the wood, uh, the white picket fence of their house to show that the alligator was actually there and that the little girl could have been taken, but was not, of course. So you get a lot more scenes like that of just like Im- potentially implied action, but nothing ever actually happens just to kind of ramp up the tension. So then the ultimate question, is it worth your money? Um I mean, obviously, I I can't imagine any of the three of us here are going to say, no, it's not. But you really got to be a fan of this movie. Um, It's got to, you know, obviously the 4K transfer is beautiful. It's you're still looking at a 4K transfer of the original film elements. So there are still going to be shots with like dirt on the screen or maybe a little bit of a little bit of tearing or something like that. It's ultimately, though, they minimized all of that stuff on this release. The colors are very bright, uh, vibrant in this one. Like halfway through the movie, there's a scene with David inside his house and he's wearing a bright red shirt. And holy shit, that shirt is bright red. On <laughs> if you're watching this on like, an, you know, uh, an HDR television, holy shit, the colors in this scene. Uh, when they first figure out that the alligator is in the lake and they're throwing charges into the water, that scene looks gorgeous with the sun all out and bright. It really, you know, obviously it's L.A. It's always sunny here. 
but just, you know, the contrast of lighting there with the previous scene in the sewer, just it, everything just looks really nice. Uh, great sound design. Um, I have a Sony Atmos uh, soundbar here in my house, and obviously the audio was spectacular. Well, as I've already said, the transfer is great. All the special features. Like I said, I, I, I'm going to say if you're a fan of this movie in any way, shape or form, it's worth the 30 or 35 bucks that you're going to spend um, to get this 4K Blu-ray. Obviously, or if you're a fan of creature features in general, I mean, this is this is a piece of history. I mean, this is definitely one of the better late 70s, early 80s creature features that we got, especially post Jaws. Like I said, we mentioned Piranha. You know, this one's right up there with stuff like that. The the bigger budget, quote unquote, Jaws ripoffs. I hate using the word ripoff. But yeah, I, I would probably say this is worth your money if you're a fan. What do you what do you gentlemen say? Hell yeah. <laughs> awesome all right well folks um i think that's all we have for you this week uh anything else you guys have before we close out the festivities no just want to give a big shout out rest in peace to kara takarada and scott hall yo hey yo yeah we lost two big ones if you're if you're a wrestling slash godzilla fan you lost two big ones this week and and Derek and myself definitely are. So yeah, it, it was a rough week for us, but yeah. Um, so I guess that's it folks. So on behalf of Don of the horror countdown and Derek from the cinema attack podcast, I am Mr. Venom. Once again, thanking you endlessly for joining us, for spending your time with us on episode seven of no more room in hell presents creature comforts. Thanks for joining us. And we hope to see you next time. Take care folks. Hey. Later.